and you're tuned into Black on Black on CHU 89.1 FM in Ottawa, your weekly connection to African, Caribbean, and Black communities in our nation's capital and beyond. And I am thrilled to finally be doing this interview with two people I really admire, uh, Rudy Kwame Williams and Sylvia Paris Drummond, who are going to give us more information about the Canadian Institute for Peoples of African Descent. So, Rudy Kwame Williams is a project manager based in Ontario. He's a senior management consultant with experience in the cultural, creative, small business, entrepreneurship, and entertainment sectors. He has a combined 17 years experience serving municipal and provincial governments. He's a strategic thinker committed to harnessing the power of the creative sector to drive economic development. And and Sylvia Paris Drummond comes to us from Nova Scotia. She is uh, the CEO of the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute. And she provides leadership to that organization through identification of opportunities, awareness and capacity building, and the implementation of initiatives designed to improve the education environment for African Nova Scotian learners and educators. Speaking of education, she has over 30 years experience in that field. She also has extensive public sector involvement through which she has gained a deep understanding for what it takes to conduct meaningful policy analysis to implement research-informed initiatives and to strengthen community engagement and develop relevant education and capacity-building projects. And I'm really underscoring the experience of these two people because it will help you understand why they are involved in and are driving this CPAD project. Welcome to both of you to Black on Black. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for the invitation. So I'm going to start with uh, Kwame. Can you tell us exactly what CPAD is? Okay, so the Canadian Institute for People of African Descent uh, is going to be, and I say going to be because uh, at this point it is a concept and not yet a implemented uh, institution. But when it does, uh, when it is implemented, it will be uh, a research and policy institute, applied research and policy, that will do so in a manner that we may not have seen in Canada just yet because uh, it plans to do its work with um, a focus on community engagement. Mm-hmm. And so this will be an institute that will do research on behalf of the African community, Canadian community by us, for us, with the intention of, uh, at the end of the day, contributing to the, uh, to, the, to the reduction or elimination of the large disparity that we have in the social determinants of health between African Canadians and other people in the country. So how did, how did, how did this concept even come up? When and how? Well, um, there was a group of people, and I, I actually think that Sylvia 
I'm just uh, going to say, Kwame, do you mind if I jump in for this one? I do not. I was going to suggest that you do so. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because I feel I feel excitement with that question because it just gives me a chance to talk about how this institute, once it's um, fully established, will model what its beginnings was. So how it got started, there is a, a think tank uh, called uh, Meeting of the Minds, folks, leaders, community leaders that came together. There was also the UN DPAD push coalition. And so in response to the 2018 announcement of funds for the decade, uh, some folks representing those voices and collective perspectives said, let's go ahead and give some advice to the government about what they might do in terms of response and planning for our community. And so something was put in uh, to those leadership bodies and it was taken up with interest. Then we got rolling underway about, okay, so how do we continue to model this is grassroots informed community led. So we did what we would understand we do around these things. We did reach out, we did consultations, we went across the country. We met brothers and sisters from the North. You know, we were, what do they call that? Ocean, sea to sea and all the in between. And we got really good advice about what might be the structures for that and what are the areas that it should address, which Kwame has spoken to already. So yeah, so the, so the beauty of the birthing or development of it is also in the beauty of both how it will operate and how it can be a real hub source of connecting for government and non-government organizations, but the government has demonstrated in a number of ways that they would really benefit from having a centralized space to take advice um, and to um, empower leadership through. Can we, can we backtrack a bit because I mean, myself, I've been, you know, following the decade, et cetera, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people in our audience who have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about the decade. Who wants mm -hmm. to take that on? What is the decade? What are the broad objectives? And how does this fit into the decade? So I'm just going to say a bit of general bit and I'm signaling I'm going to throw it over to you, Kwame. So the, the decade itself has pillars, three pillars. So it's the international decade for people of African descent. Um, and it kind of follows there was, you know, there was a year and, you know, that type thing. And that follows out of what the United Nations did in terms of their response about how historically and contemporarily our communities are treated. So there's a, a pillar for justice. There's a pillar for development um and the third pillar someone's going to help me come up with in a minute recognition uh, thank you very much i knew it's going to be a collaboration and under each one of those is follow things um that can, needed to be done so justice pretty obvious under development those where you would find education for example mm -hmm. in that and so those pillars hold up that what we need to do around the uh, issues in terms of of uh, our communities across the country Kwame, mm -hmm. I'll let you go a bit more. Yeah, so um, so I think you, you've kind of touched on uh, some of the pillars, right? So I, I won't go into that, but um, perhaps a little bit of background information. So the, you, the United Nations, uh, which, you know, over the years, uh, we don't hear a lot about in Canada, but 
they play a significant role with regards to the um, the plight of uh, peoples all over the globe, especially when people are facing hardship, etc. And one of the things that the United Nations, uh, prodded by actually some Canadian people, um, who who sort of brought this issue to them, to that you know we should look at the plight of African people globally. What they found was that there is a, um, a, a conformity with regards to the experiences that African descendants are having you know, all over the world, uh, irregardless of, of, of which country it is. Uh, and they realized that a lot of it had to do with systemic uh, anti-African or anti-Black racism uh, that they were faced and that in most of the countries they examined, there was this huge disparity between other people in the society and the African people the highest rates of unemployment, the highest rates of poverty, and on and on and on. And when they looked at Canada, they, it was no different. And so um, they, they, they actually traveled here and uh, put a challenge basically to the Canadian government as they did in other places to do something uh, within this decade that we are saying, let's highlight the, the, the disparity, the conditions, et cetera, that African people are living in and do something about it. And so hence was born the idea of a decade uh, to not only celebrate, but also to, to, to remove the obstacles and the barriers for people of African descent. So there are people here in Canada who are you know, taking up the task of um, you know, trying to ensure that the Canadian government uh, fulfilled uh, some role with regards to the African people, uh, those of us who are living in the country. And on the, on the part of the communities, there are also initiatives uh, that people are trying to push forward from the communities themselves. And this institute is one such thing. What I like about the institute mm -hmm. is that it was born of a really uh, united national um, conversation that Black communities across the country mm -hmm. were having. It, it's mm -hmm. not unique to any region, it, it in fact, uh, follows on the heels of some historic organizations like the National Black Coalition and so on that was attempted before. And it, it brings mm -hmm. all of the opportunities that we have. We have researchers that are, you know, some of them are in academia, some of them are operating independently. Uh, this institute provides an opportunity to bring all of those folks together in a way that will serve our community directly, that will give us the evidence that we need when we are making those cases with regards to what needs to be done to remove the barriers, the systemic barriers that we experience, to change this uh, ongoing condition where you know, it seems to be acceptable that African people will always be um, the ones that are suffering in the justice system, have the lowest rates of, uh, of employment, uh, the highest rates of being pushed out of schools and things like that. So, uh, we, we want to change that, and this institute is a major strategic piece. So I, I was just going to uh, add back to the, the decade quickly that it's not just national governments. Uh, this uh, decade is very much grounded in the Universal Declaration uh, for Human Rights. Correct. And it has everything to do with human rights, the human rights of people of African descent with regard right. to the enjoyment of all of their, the rights and privileges that come yeah. with 
that universal declaration. Yeah, correct. indeed. So correct, and it and it um it ties into um the 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 universal charter of rights because right. what what was essentially recognized is that when it comes to African people, uh, those rights that have been declared to be what all humans on the planet uh, deserve to have. Mm -hmm. In many cases, uh, when it comes to African people, those rights are being denied, they're being trampled, uh, and they're being, and, and that's happening sometimes um, sanctioned by the legal authorities in the country. Yes. Mm -hmm. which, yeah, which, is, we... which is an even bigger problem, because it's not just, it's not just the idea that you know, we, we, we've inherited this uh, deep-rooted racism that causes behavior to exist in the communities, but then, you know, administratively and legally, yeah. government and so on, we're doing something different. No, what it is is that those uh, very racist attitudes, behaviors, uh, systems of oppression are embedded in the very systems that govern us that determine um, what is law in the country, that determine how people are treated on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, that de determine what happens when you go to a hospital, that determines you know, what happens when, you, um, when you, you're engaged with any one of the, the, the systems, right? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you go from the perspective of still considering that you can have quote-unquote generic policies, generic practices, and you're already starting um, in a negative space, because what you need to be thinking about in terms of structures and systemic addressing systemic issues is your lens analysis with the assumption that this was not written inclusive of mm -hmm. voices that were disenfranchised. And for our case, talking about black folk community across the country, they weren't developed in that way. So therefore your starting premise is that we need to look at them and already begin with the analysis that says, how is this policy disadvantaging people or not responding to people? Or like, so how is it that we still are having to make a case for the collecting our own data? And mm -hmm. then, you know, the disaggregation of data in a way that is most useful in terms of addressing some of those determinants of health issues, which we've kind of talked about that are in the vision of CPAD as well. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so back to uh, CPAD. Before we get to how CPAD would be structured, Kwame, can you tell us about the, uh, the results of the feasibility study that were published recently? So um, the, we, 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 the feasibility study um, uh, in its final report is a some 280-page document uh, that, in a sense, encapsulates the experiences of African descendants in Canada. Um, because whereas the root of a lot of the negative experiences that we face right across the country, you know, whereas the root of it um, may be the European global colonial project and then all of the descendant variations of that and all of the residue from that and the economic fallout and so on, um, it manifests its way in a unique way uh, all across uh, the country. And so 
one of the things that was realized is that um, even though these manifestations may be unique to you know particular places and so on, there's a particular history that people have who live in you know North Preston, right? Mm -hmm. Particular history that people have who you know are descendants of African people who settled in Hogan's Alley and you know on the West Coast and you know in Toronto and so on. So there's a um, there's a commonality with regards to the systems that are causing this. So can you can you tell us three key findings from this feasibility studies? Okay, so from this particular study, um, we found that uh, the well one of one of one of them I mentioned already, which is the incredible um, disparity when it comes to the social determinants of health. And the report goes into fairly good detail about laying out. Uh, what those experiences are with regards to the social determinants of health. Now, we tend to talk about that a lot just because it is perhaps the most glaring example of um, what is most dangerous about the plight that African people are in in the country. Mm -hmm. However, um, there are also uh, findings such as, so, uh, you know, some of these uh, are based on data that we were able to gather. So, for example, that um, you know, for black women in the country with university degrees, they are one and a half times more likely to be unemployed than white women with high school diplomas. Wow, which is quite an indictment of yes. uh, of, of a country where the common myth is that um, people are kept out of opportunities because they don't have education. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and also, too, that, uh, for example, um, you know, one one of our researchers uh, who has done a lot of research on our community, um, you know, came up with a way of calculating the cost to the African Canadian community. Based on the discrimination in employment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that that figure was I don't have that number right in front of me, but I believe it was above one billion dollars. Yeah, one point five billion. One point five. Okay, there you go. So per year, yeah. That no, I'm talking annually, right? Yeah. That's so right. so this is this is um this this is quite uh if if you think about that uh from the standpoint of what's being taken away from our community mm -hmm. by the systemic pervasive racist um attitudes that are still within these institutions etc um we're, we're paying a heavy price for it and so that was one of the major findings uh of the study right and and the 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 mere idea that we were able to reveal some of these facts that i'm sure most people are not necessarily aware of um kind of in itself gave credence to why we need an institute that would do this kind of research. Because okay, so, one of the, yeah. Oh, sorry. Because sorry. Sorry. we're, we're going to run out of time before you tell us about the structure of the institute. Okay, so uh, quickly then. Um, essentially, this institute will, um, will be a standalone institute. In other words, uh, people have been very clear about the fact that they don't want this institute to be inside of an academic institution or anything like that, that they want an institute that is a standalone. 
mm-hmm. um, an institute that has, um, you know, will have uh, similar to the structures that most organizations have with, 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 I think, a major difference being is that this institute will have a group of uh, an eldership group that we call the Ushari that will, in a sense, be oversight, be, play the role of the village elders mm-hmm. with regards to the institute. And their job will be to make sure that this institute always is connected to the community in a real way and that it is always being guided to, to, to function under African principles. So principles like Ma'at and so on, which are historic Kemetic principles. These are the, the historical foundations of spiritual and, uh, um, you know, and competent ways of running organizations, etc. All of these things will be enshrined in the Ushari, whose job it will be to make sure that the organization runs in such a way and is always relevant to the communities that we're serving. Okay, and then attached to the institute, because you said it won't be in an academic setting, but it will have academics and researchers and specialists. Yeah, so that's what I meant when I said it will, in in many ways, in those ways, it'll run like other institutes, like the Broadbent Institute, like the Howe Institute and so on. Um, you know, it will run similarly because, you know, that is um, the way in which it's going to do its research. I think the key differences mm-hmm. is going to be in actually how it interacts mm-hmm. with the subjects of the research. Okay. Um, and yes. it will be of the people by the people. That's how the yeah. research will be. So what's the next step? Because you said it doesn't yet, you know, doesn't yet exist. Right. So the, so the feasibility study uh, has been completed. Uh, it was turned in on time to the, um, to the government agency uh, back in September, of, September 30th, 2020. It's etched mm-hmm. in my mind. And um, so far, we uh, haven't heard back from the government with regards to a timeline for the implementation. However, I know that there's been a recent um, reaching out to the uh, the, the stewards, of which um, Sylvia's organization is one of those uh, two stewards, uh, Kafkan and Delmore Buddy Day in Nova Scotia, that have been the stewards of this project. And uh, I know that there's been a reaching out to them recently. Uh, so when we have that conversation, then, um, you know, we'll be in a better position, perhaps, you know, to answer the question as to what the plans are for implementation in terms of you know, what's going to happen in the next year, what's going to happen in the next two years, and so on. So is there a call to action to this Ottawa community? Um, how can people support the initiative? Right. So I think one of the first steps is to for people to make themselves aware. Um, also, for people to start to uh, position um, the ways in which uh, an institute of the kind that we're describing can work in their communities. Because mm-hmm. if they are already um, sort of down the road with regards to how this is going to interact with the, the work we're doing on the ground in the communities, et cetera, as we uh, get ready to implement, it will be a much smoother conversation in, in terms of addressing some of the research that needs to be done in these communities. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then there can be a, a, a set of prioritizations because there are definitely some places in the country that um, perhaps should be addressed first. Mm -hmm. So just to, uh, to end this uh, very enlightening conversation, how can people reach uh, both of you to get more information about Sylvia? how they can get involved? Yeah, I, well, I think it would be great um, just to kind of go through the CPAD. Um, I think it's info at cpad.ca, right, in general. And then it, those asks can be like passed on to the right people in terms of which one of us could answer or, you know, or someone else outside of us could answer. And I would encourage people to check out the website. There's a section on there that has frequently asked questions about it. Uh, some of the history, Sarah, that we were able to talk about here in terms of where it came from and certainly information on the UN decade for people of African descent as well. Mm -hmm. And Kwame? Um, same thing, essentially. Um, because I am working in the project manager role, I pay attention to all of the questions and I, uh, you know, I will look at them and then make some determination along with um, the two leads as to you know, who are the best people to address some of those things. You know, a lot of the the questions that are about the logistics of the project itself, I can answer because I've been, you know, directly yeah. involved with that. But there's mm -hmm. some other, you know, interesting questions that people may have re with regards to, you know, specific academic research they'd like to see and things like that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have people on board who can answer those questions as well. Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. To both of you for taking this time to speak to our audience. I've been speaking with Sylvia Paris from the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute in Nova Scotia and to uh, Kwame Williams, who is the project manager for the Canadian Institute for People of African Descent Project. Keep it locked to Black on Black on CHU 89.1 FM.